I just wanted to start and thank Pastor Tom and Pastor Shelby. I mean, the man of God is in the house, and he's allowing me to preach, and that's a, that's a humble leader. And so um, I'm probably up here on Pastor Stephen's word. We've been friends for a long time. Um, so if Pastor Stephen's not here next week, it's because I blew it on his word. But um, you guys love your pastors? Yeah. yeah. Love me. I mean, they're amazing. And, and love them. Love them the way that you love. Give them, you know, I may make Pastor Tom squirm, but give him gifts and, and give them words of affirmation and be there for them. But I want to say even more than that, when it comes to leadership, we don't just love leadership. We're supposed to honor leadership because there's things in leaders that we need from them. And unless you're honoring them, you don't get the anointing from them. And so you're not trying to be a peer with the leaders in your life. You're trying to honor the leaders of your life. And so what you're doing is pressing them up and you get elevated underneath them. And so give them honor, and really honor in the house of God is take his ideas like you're, they're your ideas. Amen. Do you agree? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't have an opinion. I'm in a kingdom with a king. If the king says so and he's put authorities in place, I'm going to do as I'm told. Right. And I know that I'm blessed within that. Well, where's my tithe money go? It doesn't matter. They tell you. But it doesn't matter. It's not your money. It's God's money. He said give it into his local house. And so I just want to encourage you guys to honor the house and honor your leadership because me and, me and my wife have done plenty of driving this weekend. We were in, golly, Bellevue Thursday, Leavenworth. I just got out of our later, later hosen or whatever. That place is wild. We were in Leavenworth last night. No, two nights ago. Drove in late last night. Goodness gracious. So we've been all over the place, and so we're praying. And um, I'm telling you, there's big things for this church. It's, it's not just for your life, it's for this community, and, and, and we're praying, and we're going, man, I feel like there's going to be an explosion in this area of population and growth, and I'll tell you, whenever growth comes in, it's, it, there's spiritual opportunity there, not just for God's side, but for the kingdom of darkness, and there's things up for grabs, and God has placed your church in the middle of it to establish his kingdom, okay? You guys are here for growth, and, and I'm telling you, Pastor Tom is going to be a leader of thousands, which means there needs to be leaders of hundreds and tens in here, and you have to elevate to that place. Don't see yourself as less than. If it's in this word, it is you. Well, that's Jesus. No, Jesus is the word, and he abides in you, okay? If it's about you, then yeah, you're limited, but if it's not about you, nothing's impossible to him who believes, and I'm just telling you, establish yourself in this house because God's glory, Ephesians 3 tells us, is only coming to his house. It's only in his church. You are not establishing glory outside of this place. He's coming for a bride. And it's interesting when it talks about it in Revelation 19 that there's a marriage supper of the Lamb. It's talking about the wedding scene. And it says, celebrate and glory. The marriage is happening, and it's when the bride got herself ready. We think God is doing all this stuff. He goes, no, I'm waiting for my bride to get right. I'm waiting for them to believe. I'm waiting for them to step out. That's when this starts to happen. So I'm telling you, there's amazing, as much growth as you guys have already had. I mean, what an amazing facility, right? We walked in. Stephen made a sneak in the back, but <laughs> golly. He said, follow my instructions. I did. I went to the garage door and couldn't get in, but that's all right. We were creepers for a little bit, but we made our way in, and then everybody was friendly. Um, but um, I just tell you, like, whatever growth that's already happened, just expect exponentially more because it's going to happen. And if you dig in now, I mean, this is not a pyramid scheme, but if you're at the bottom, you're going to be affecting thousands upon thousands with your loyalty, with your faith, with your submission, okay? And then you get to storm the gates of heaven. We storm the gates of hell on the earth. Then we get to go and be with Jesus. We storm the gates of heaven, and you're going to go, here we are. We brought all these with us. They were lost, and now they're found. They were dead, now they're alive, and they're with us. Let's party. And that's what this is all about, okay?
Well, I want to, I'm trying not to just jump in and start preaching. I want to give credit and honor where honor is due, and so thank you, Pastor Tom. Thank you, Pastor Shelby. Um, I do hail from Gutch Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, do you guys know Pastor Bill Shear? Yeah, if you've heard him once, you remember him. Um, yeah, we get to work for him. So he's, he's dynamite. He's amazing. But um, I'm going to give you revelations that, that I have and my wife has, but ultimately we wrap it up in the culture of the church that we've been raised in. And so we're here as, as advocates at Guts Church, and I know him and Pastor Tom have an amazing relationship. Um, and so we almost think of you guys as family, even though I've never met you. So we love this church, and we've never been here. We pray for you guys. We really do. Me and my wife, we love this church. So thank you for having us. Um, speaking of my wife, she's that beautiful, glowing, eight-month-pregnant Lebanese bombshell over there. Um, I don't know if you have a picture. We sent her a picture late last night, but um, I'm doing this for selfish purposes, talking about my family, because they say if, if you feel connected to someone, you're likely to listen to them a little longer. So this is all just for my sermon, but I've got an amazing family. You've got to, you've got to pick, yeah, look at that. Yeah, I know who you're not looking at there is me. Um, so my wife, we're, we're pregnant with our third daughter. So if you ever forget the lyrics to a Frozen song, I got you covered. Um, my five-year-old is Collins Eve. My three-year-old is Dylan Love, and then baby Elliot Joe is on her way, so we're super excited to meet her. Well, let's go ahead and pray. I do have a word for you, but uh, let's just see what God wants to do. I got plans, but he opens doors, right? So let's do something great today. God, we love you so much. We just thank you that you're in this place, God. You chose us. Why you chose us, we may never know, but we know that if we choose you back, we get all of heaven. And so, God, we're just going to choose to to draw near to you. It's already been said here. If we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And so, God, that's what we want in every aspect of our life. There's so many of us that have eternal life, but, God, we have not yet let heaven touch our lives. Well, if we die, we're going to heaven, but we maybe not have tasted heaven here yet. Well, it's time that we do. And so, God, I just thank you here that we're good soil, that we're prepared, we've been worshiping, we've been generous, knowing that that makes a way for the seed to be sown. And so, God, I just thank you that we can take what we hear today by the Holy Spirit and just make it more. God, we love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was praying for you guys, um, and I had kind of like a clear picture word that came when I was praying for you, and it was, the word was coming from the stage, and it was, it was straight, it was coming from heaven and going out, and it was the same thing from here that it was from here, but as it came into your reception, came into your understanding, it was getting watered down. And what was coming from here was kind of foolproof, but as you took it, it had water and, and ice mixed with it, and it was a lesser word. And I don't mean to say that as, as kicking you in the shins right now. I'm saying, does anybody here have eternal life already? Yeah, yeah you're born again. Is anybody living a pretty solid life? God has more. And that's really the tone that I want to take today is not a brow beating, but a, a lifting of your head. Jesus said, lift your head. The, the harvest is already white. It's ready to go. And so often we're looking down at the situations and the storms and the what is that we forget to lift our heads and go, oh my gosh, I can go anywhere and do anything and he's with me. If I set my hand on it, it's going to prosper. This is the mindset that we have to have. And if you're looking down, you're looking at yourself and your qualifications. And that's why he says, stop looking down, look up. I've prepared a path for you already. I need you to go because there's people hurting. There's a world that's lost and you're my advocate. I didn't put my spirit in anything else. I put it in you. And so you're the one that's the carrier of the Holy Spirit. You're the one with the prophetic word. You're the one with the anointing that breaks yokes of bondage. I need you. And so we've got to lift our heads and have an understanding that there is no plan B. You are plan A through Z wrapped up with the Holy Spirit. 
okay? And so I, I want you guys to know that there's more for you and more for your life. Go to um, Matthew 4. You guys got Bibles and notes? Man, take notes, take notes, take notes. I'm begging you. I know it's 2020 and people do everything in their phone. Please take physical notes. I spoke at a, a men's thing a couple weeks ago. I probably shouldn't even talk about it, but um, I spoke at a men's thing a couple weeks ago, and nobody sat in the first three rows. This was not at Guts. First three rows, nobody worshipped, nobody brought a Bible or notes, and I had a plan on paper, but it just turned into me just pistol whipping them the whole... I was just getting angrier as I was preaching, because nobody was really taking it in. And so I, you know, it finishes up, and I have all these guys coming and going, thanks for challenging us. I'm going, I didn't challenge you. You didn't write anything down. I was challenging, but you didn't receive it because the exit is 20 yards that way, and when you hit the door and the January air hits you and you call your wife and tells you about the whole day, the seed is gone. It's gone. You didn't write it down. You cannot go back to it because we get the seed, and we are called to water it. We're called to tamp it into the ground. We have a responsibility with the seed, and it's interesting in Mark 4, it tells us that you are persecuted because of the seed. Why are things hard? Because there's a seed in you. And the enemy does not want it to grow. So there's persecution that comes because of the seed. And it says immediately Satan comes to steal the seed. If you are not writing it down, you are not watering it because your memories and your emotion are not going to water that seed. Man, that guy was good that day. Pastor Tom had a great word. What was it? Where did it hit you? What are you doing with it? You didn't write it down. You have to. You have to write these things down. The Israelites would always remind themselves of the things that God had done. They would always go back to the lineage of them crossing the Red Sea and them being fed in the wilderness. They would remind themselves of these amazing things. Sometimes when things are very hard right here, you need to look back on God's goodness. Go, yes, but. I know this, but yes, but. My God is willing. My God is worthy. My God is able, and he's with me. He came through before. He's not going to stop on this. Why would he open a door that I can't get through? It's not going to happen. So please write things down. If Pastor Tom says something, know that it's anointed, it's prophetic, and it's for you. Take it as your life. We're not here making the best version of you. We're here so that you die and Christ can live in you. It's no longer I who live, right? What does that mean if I don't live anymore? I died. So we're not here with a how-to. You can go watch the Oprah Winfrey show. That's not what we're doing here. We want you to die so that Christ can manifest his life through you. And your opinions don't matter to him. Because whenever you die to yourself you get a resurrected life on the other side. If you never die to an area of your life, that area never gets resurrected. If you live with a poverty mentality, you're never going to be free from money no matter how much you have because it's never enough. That's not how we're called to live. We're called to live resurrected. And this is why we're lambs to slaughter. We crucify our flesh daily. We take up our cross daily. The church is a deaf instrument. Did you know that? I know that's not going to get first-time visitors in here, but the cross is a deaf instrument. The church is a death instrument going, come in here. There's a better life on the other side of submission. There's a better life on the other side of giving your life to Christ and being a part of his body. There's a better life. And all you have to do, no big deal, die. <laughs> right? But this is why the church is walking it with you. And that's why it's almost hard for me to speak when Pastor Tom's in the room because he's given his life for this church. You guys know that, right? Paul said, I pour myself out as a drink offering in the service of your faith. That's what Pastor Tom and Shelby have done. They've given their lives to your faith. And so when you come in here, it's not a game that we're playing. We've got to wrap it up in, in good things so that people want to come and be a part. But we're just going, we need Christ in you. You need Christ in you. And we'll give our lives till you get that. And so that's what's going on. So again, love and honor your pastors. 
Um, go to Matthew chapter 4. I want to show you what happens here. I don't need to turn there in my Bible. I got it on the notes. Matthew 4. So in Matthew 3, John the Baptist and Jesus, John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and it was a crazy scene. Um, Jesus comes out of the water. The Holy Spirit takes on form as a dove, comes into lights on Jesus. Then God speaks, which is crazy, and he just says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Do we know that? Is that a seed? Was that a word from God? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He gave that to Jesus. He planted that in Jesus. Is there prophecy on what the Son of God and the Messiah would do and perform and enact as? So all those things that came with that, this is my beloved son, Jesus knew were his. So let's see what happens in the next chapter that I've got you in. John chapter, or Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the, into the wilderness. Why? You guys got it? To be what? Darn. The Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted. What, was, what, what did he just get? What in, enacted this whole thing? A seed was sown. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Okay, let's go test. Let's go test that seed. And so it was to be tested by the devil. Now, the devil comes to steal the seed, but God loves to test the seed because stealing, it's gone, but testing, it gets pushed into the ground. And so if you're not testing the seed, you're not tamping it into where it needs to be, getting ready for watering. God brought him into the wilderness so that the seed could be planted, not just sown. Does that make sense? Okay. If you get tested, good. It means God is deep-seeding something. Have you ever decided to be generous and give something, and then a bill came right on the heels of it? You commit to something, and immediately everything starts going wrong? You were led into the wilderness to be tempted. This is good news, okay? And so, let's just read it. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. I think I would have been hungry somewhere in the middle. Um, afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God. What was the seed that was planted? This is my beloved Son. If you really are the Son of God. If that word really was for you, if God really is real, if he really does love you, everything that you're getting in here can't just be emotional. It's great. Emotion's great. Emotion can indicate where we're going, what we're doing. Emotion's great, but it can't fabricate life. If you're living on a life fabricated by emotions, you are a roller coaster, okay? That's not how we live. And so emotion can be great, but it's got to be something more when we hit those doors. There's got to be substance to it. And the only thing spiritually that gives substance is faith. Because the Bible says faith is the substance. If you want something to occur, you want something to manifest, you want something to happen, there has to be faith with it. Otherwise, there's no substance. Are you guys catching this? Okay. And so he's in the wilderness, and he's getting tested on the exact seed that was just sown into him. And what does the enemy say? He's hungry. Hey, turn these stones into bread. No big deal, right? You're hungry. You've been so good. You're God's son. Just, just eat this. And we know what Jesus said, right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. Does Jesus know there's more than bread for his life? Does he know that there's a promise attached? Revelation 19 says there's a marriage supper of the Lamb, and the enemy's trying to get him to live on bread in the wilderness. 
Is there a seed that's gone into your life that you ate it in the wilderness when it got hard instead of keeping it sown because there was a bigger promise later on the other side of hardship, on the other side of patience, on the other side of forgiveness that doesn't, the other person doesn't deserve forgiveness, but you give it? Or do you take the bread and you eat it? Bread is for the masses. Bread is for survival. Bread is base level, right? Jesus would go to the multitudes and they would get bread. You're not a multitude. You're a disciple. You're someone called to more, to have more, to experience more, and to give more. This is who you're called to. And the enemy came tempting him with something that seemed good. Jesus denied it and he goes, no, every word out of my father's mouth is a promise for me. Why would I take less than what my father says? I'm going to eat up the word. I'm going to live by this, knowing that the promise is a feast with my bride who my life is for. Jesus, I'm going to say something aggressive. Get ready. Buckle up. You guys should have seatbelts. That would be so dramatic if you had seatbelts. <laughs> Jesus didn't die for you. Everybody's heads popped up. Good. Jesus died for his church. You get to be a part of his church. Husbands, love your wives as, as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. And so we're going, Jesus went to the cross if there was just one of us. And I don't know, maybe that's true, but I know what he died for was his church. And the Bible says it was the joy that was set before him that got him through that cross experience. Is what the suffering was, was only endurable because there was a joy set. And I'm telling you, just like Pastor Tom said, if there's not a word that you are standing on, you have no joy taking you through the hardship. You have to have an expectation. You have to have a what's next. You have to have a this is what God said. Jesus could say, I am the beloved son of God and stand through anything that the enemy came against and the world came against him with. He knew his identity and he knew the promises. Do you know who you are? Do you know what you can have? There's a great inheritance in your life. Let's look at the flip side. Jesus did it right. And we see that he was the firstborn among many brethren. He was the first fruits and we're his bride, right? He did it right. But we know Jacob and Esau. You guys know that Old Testament story? It should be Esau and Jacob, right? Because you should say the firstborn first. I introduced my kids as Collins, Dylan, and Elliot. You start with the firstborn. But not here. We start with Jacob. Esau would have been an inheritor of massive amounts of wealth. You guys understand that? Abraham was like stupid rich. His son was Isaac, whose all his flocks flourished. He was crazy rich. He would have been walking into power prominence and wealth beyond anybody in the area. Esau was lined up with crazy inheritance. So as the story goes, he's out hunting. Why is he hunting? Have you ever, do you ever ask weird questions of the Bible? Do they not have enough flocks at home for him to eat from? Do they not have personal maids, assistants, and cooks going on? Why is he out hunting? It's because he's denying his inheritance and trying to make his own life. God does not call you to make your own life. He calls you to submit to the one he has for you. And so he stepped out and started trying to make his own way. And so he comes back. He, he doesn't get anything. And he comes back, and Jesus, J, Jacob's making uh, soup. And I'm so hungry. He says, I'm so hungry. And Jacob's a sneaky. Like, we give credit to these Old Testament guys. A lot of them are just, like, not good people. And Jacob's a sneaky little dude, and he goes, give me your inheritance. I'll give you soup. You give me your inheritance. Doesn't this sound like Jesus in the wilderness? Just, just eat some bread. Just, just trade off the call in your life for what you need right now. And Esau falls for it. And Jacob's like, no, for real. Lentil soup for your inheritance? Let's do this. Let's sign this right now. Esau was in a moment of weakness, and he was overwhelmed. Was he going to starve to death? 
No, but he felt like emotionally he was going to. Do you guys get lonely at night and make bad decisions? Do you text and call people that you shouldn't be hitting up? Do you go drive by that bar that you've been set free from and go, man, maybe I should just go see that person? Do you get in that place where you get overwhelmed emotionally and you reach out and make the wrong decision? That's what Esau did. He traded his inheritance for red soup. And it's funny because it tells us in, I think I got the verse here, Genesis 25, 34, it says, Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and he drank and he arose and he went his way, and Esau despised his birthright. Red soup and bread. He gave away his inheritance with a fake Lord's Supper, didn't he? Red soup and bread. He gave it away. Jesus had to undo it in the New Testament going, here's the right Lord's Supper. It's my blood and it's my body. And he undid the work of Esau and got us back into an inheritance that we had lost. Amen? Don't leave anything on the table. Why was Jesus whipped at Calvary 39 times? By his stripes you were what? Healed. Do you want Jesus to have gone through that and then not take your healing? Why would you do that? Why would we let him suffer in vain if we're not going to take the promise attached to it? The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Why would we let him get chastised if we're not going to live in peace? Why are we going to let him go through these things for our lives and then us go, well, then I don't know. Maybe that's not fair. Maybe the Lord is making me suffer right now. You've heard all these things. And Christians make excuses when their faith is weak. And we make doctrine out of our excuses and we think it's okay. Jesus died for you. He became poor so that you might become. Am I crazy? Am I an insane person? Do you know the point of the Gentile church is to provoke the Jews to jealousy so they turn to Jesus? If you need to turn a whole nation into jealousy, what do your lives need to look like? If we need them to look at us and go, we don't know what you're doing, but we need that. What do our lives need to look like? to be that well-renowned as the church that people are drawn to the goodness of God that leads them to repentance. Right, Kevin? We don't want people to repent because they're scared of hell. We want people to repent because they want life. And my life ex- embodies life. My life embodies goodness. My life embodies love. I've got enough love to give. That's why I'm full to abundance. That's prosperity mentality. Prosperity can have something to do with money but it really has to do with overflow. I have so much peace in my life, you can have it. When you walk into my house, it's only going to be peace. There's no drama in my life. I don't allow it. He was chastised for it. Can you guys write this stuff down and get out of here with it? We've got this, right? You're a Christian. There's nobody like you on the face of the earth. And they can put coexist bumper stickers on every Prius they want to, but I'm telling you what, there is one God with one plan, who died one death for everyone. So you have an inheritance, and I'm asking you, are you leaving something on the table that you sh- that's for you? Are you living a less than life? Is the word of God coming from Pastor Tom, coming from the leadership here, and it getting watered down because your faith isn't big enough? Don't let that happen. Go to John 21. Go to John 21, Um, and since we're there, I'm going to stop at John 20 and make a quick point. Jesus has already died. He is resurrected, but Jesus loves us so stinking much, he can't go straight to heaven without stopping and seeing his boys, right? Because Jesus is amazing. 
So he starts appearing on the earth for a period of 40 days before he goes up and sits with the Father. And so his, his first time he stops in is in John 20. Um, I'll just read it. Verse 20, 2020. When he had said this, Jesus, he showed them his hands and his side. Wait, I thought he resurrected. Why do he still have pains? Because he paid an eternal price for you, so he has an eternal wound there. Does that make sense? Is his love ever running out? No. For all of eternity, there's marks in his hand and his side because he loves you for eternity. All right? Um, and then the disciples were glad, yay, when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, listen to this, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. How am I doing on time? I have no idea. I blacked out. Okay. Um, he breathed on. Is this not exactly what he did with, with Adam in Genesis 3? The word breathe or breath and the word spirit are the exact same in the Hebrew and in the Greek. In the Greek. And so he breathed on his disciples at this moment. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Become alive spiritually. The same way he breathed in Adam and he became a living being. It's the same thing. And he says, you now have power over what? Sin. And now we roll into John 21. Stay with me here. Because there's still Acts 2, right? You guys know what Acts 2 is? The baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why did he tell these same men who just received the Holy Spirit that they need to go to the upper room and wait for the Holy Spirit? Because there's more on the table. There's more than simple forgiveness. There's power that's coming. So John 21, they have not yet experienced Acts 2. And so it says uh, there were seven disciples, Simon Peter and six other guys, and they're just sitting around because they've been saved, but they have no direction. They have no power. And so what do they do? And any good guy does, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> that's what it says. I'm going to go fishing. Now there's more to it than that because what happens is they got saved, right? He breathed life into them. Did you guys get saved and then absolutely nothing seemed to change? Like, for real. I'm not saying that as, like, putting you down. For real. Wasn't work the same the next day? Did things feel dramatically different? It didn't to them either. They just got saved. And they're going, well, I got to make money. I was a fisherman. I will go back to fishing. Is God calling you back to where he saved you from? Then stop going there. Delete numbers you shouldn't have. Get out of the environments you shouldn't be in. You're not going back to fishing. That's when you were providing for yourself. You now have a provider. Okay? So I'm going back to fishing. And so they fish all night. They catch nothing. And in the morning, Jesus is on the shore. They don't know it's Jesus. Long story as to why that I will skip. But he says, you guys, you have any food? And they go, no. And he goes, cast your nets off to the right side of the boat, which is a big deal when you're doing nets. It's a lot of work to fish with nets. And so it's like, we've been fishing all night. All right. Did they get a word? Cast your nets off to the right side of the boat. Did they get a word? Did they understand it? You don't have to understand it to be obedient, guys. Sometimes something's going to come from this stage. Something is going to be enacted. Sometimes they're singing songs you don't like. Get over it. You don't have to understand it. The less it's about you, the freer you're going to be. Okay? So they cast their net over to the side. And it says in verse... Six, he said to them, cast your net over the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast their net. They were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of the fish. Does he have more for you than you were needing? Okay. So as soon as blessing, it's fascinating. When did they recognize it's Jesus? John recognizes Jesus when blessing came. Doesn't that tell you something about your God? 
They didn't know who he was, but then blessing happened. They go, that's Jesus. Jesus is in the source of your blessing. Jesus is in the source of your breakthrough. And Peter being Peter puts on his coat and jumps into the water. And I questioned that for a while. Why in the world did he put on a coat to go for a swim? The reason is last time he was fishing and he ran into Jesus, Jesus said, drop everything, let's go. He thinks it's about to happen again. I'm not leaving anything in this boat because I know we're going. It's a little different game plan now. Jesus goes, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. But Peter gets it. He's going, let's go. Do you have that mentality? Let's go. Jesus is about this. Jesus is with me. Jesus is providing. Let's go. And so something interesting to me gets on the shore. Remember how, much, how many fish were there? They couldn't pull it out together. Verse 11, Simon Peter, who is now with Jesus, went up, dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. They couldn't pull it in together, but now he's in the presence of Jesus. He pulled it in himself. There's such a harvest for you. If you will just get with Jesus and be obedient to what he wants, it's more than you could even believe. Are you leaving anything on the table? It really is better than you think it is. Well, you guys just think everything's hunky-dory. No, there's going to be testing. You're going to go into the wilderness. But if you keep the joy set before you of what the promise is, you're going to endure and then eat good the fruits of your labor. God does not leave you forsaking or begging bread. It's not a piece of who he is. You do not beg bread as a child. Are you a co-heir with Christ? Are you royalty in heaven? Do anybody, do king's kids go hungry? No. Even if the whole castle's going hungry, the king's kid's not. This is who you are. And you need to know this. Because a lot of us got saved from some pretty nasty places and situations and family life and things that were stacked against us, right? And then we come in and we keep that mindset of our flesh of who we were and we forget that we're new creations altogether. That we're adopted into a brand new family and who I was, I no longer am. And what I had, I no longer have. I'm free from disease. I'm free from poverty. I'm free from my last name that maybe was keeping me down because I am now in Christ. You got a new daddy, okay? All right, my pastor shared this. We're, we're headed to a close here. My pastor shared this verse with uh, some of us on staff last week, and it was it's so good. Um, the Passion Translation, I have not really read through it, but I'm hearing good things about it. And he gave us this out of the, pra the Passion Translation. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So now, beloved one, stand firm and secure. That's a command, right? Do you get an option there? Stand. Stand uh, firm and secure. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord. And here's the part I want you to get. Because we are assured that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with the fruit that endures. Have you been running on a treadmill not wondering why you're not getting the produce? Have you been trying to pull fish out of the water and you can't, don't have the strength to do it? Union with the Lord is what causes your work to produce. Are you going to work to make a paycheck or are you going to work to sow seed? You cannot get offended at your job if you're going to give. You can't get offended at church if you're coming to give. If you're coming to get, 50-50, who knows? They're not paying me, they're promoting people around me. What is the deal? You're not there to give. You're not there on assignment. You're there as a consumer. If all your needs are met according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, do you need to go anywhere as a consumer? No, it's dwelling inside of you, the provision is. I don't need anyone to affirm me. My God affirms me. I know I'm in him. 
I know he chose me. I know he created me before the heavens and earth were even formed. He knows me that well, loves me that well, and brings me through everything. I love him and he loves me. Now my work's being productive. Because I'm going to work not for a paycheck. I'm going because I'm the man of God in the room when I walk in. You need healing, I'll pray for you. You need breakthrough, I'll pray for you. This is who you guys are. I handed my computer to my wife the other day. I said, just give him three points. I got to give him walk away, so just give him three points. I didn't look at him until this morning, what she wrote. Number one, do you actually hear his voice? Do you hear God's voice? And if that's kind of a scary question to you, let me make it very simple. His voice sounds just like his word. You, we all have access to the voice of the Lord. Open your Bible. Because everything in that New Testament that it says about you is for you. It is you. Do you know his voice? Do you have the word for the season that you're in? You sow different seeds in different seasons, right? What season are you in? Is your seed ready for that season? Or do you not have a word of God? And it's the blind leading the blind. You're not called to be a Pharisee going through the motions. You're called to be a disciple of Christ who knows the season of the fruit. Okay, so do you hear his voice? If you're not sowing a word, you don't get a harvest. Number two, set the whole of your trust on him. This is the testing. When it looks contrary to the word you got, are you going to stand by it? Are you going to give up? When everybody around you, even the people that mean well for you, are saying things against it, are you going to stay with the word? Are you going to go by the Holy Spirit's peace leading you and guiding you? The one who's behind you telling you the way that you should go. Who are you listening to? There's a lot of people that want to be your shepherd, but we have one shepherd. We know one voice and another voice we won't follow. Do you hear his voice? Are you setting the whole of your trust on him? And then three, encourage yourself in the Lord. Encourage yourself. I just need somebody to encourage me. I just need this song to encourage me. I just need some YouTube video to encourage me. No, encourage yourself in the Lord. Maybe you need to throw your phone aside and just worship for a second. Maybe you need to just pray in the spirit for 20 minutes. Maybe you don't listen to the radio in your car all week and it's just a holy train going to work. You're just praying the whole time. Maybe you'll be ready for what life is coming with. All right? God loves you guys. Is everybody with me? All right. I'm going to pray for you. And I'll be nice and I'll let you close your eyes so you don't feel like everybody's looking at you. If this is my church, I'm not nice. I'll be nice to you guys. I'm just going to start praying. I don't have a plan for ministry. We'll see what God wants to do. God, I just thank you for this group. God, we feel like we picked what we were doing and where we were going, but it says you place us in the body where it's pleasing to you. And so I just thank you that we're where we are supposed to be right now, God. And if we're not already, we're going to become a joint that supplies. A joint is a connection piece. We're going to get connected with somebody. We're going to get connected with a program. We're going to get connected with every great and, and powerful thing that you're doing in this house, God, so that we don't just receive, but we actually become providers. God, I just thank you that you are calling men and women to step up and be bold into the calling with which you've called them. We don't go to church. We are the church. God, I just pray for a boldness when we go to work, when we go to our homes, God. It's hard to reestablish culture, but we're going to commit to do it, God. We're going to raise our kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, not the waves of doctrine the world is throwing at us. We know good from evil, and we choose good. Goodness. 
I'm just going to say this. If you just, if this is hit and you just go, I need to commit, could you just wave at me? I'm going to pray for you. I need to commit. I need to step up my level of expectation for what God has for me. I'm tired of eating from what I produce. I want what he is giving me. Just raise your hand. Yeah, one, two. Who else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More. The word is commit, commit, commit. Yep. Hands all over the place. My pastor's definition of commitment is entering a room with no exits. I've never heard a better definition than that. Are you ready to enter that room of commitment that the only way out is God's provision, God's breakthrough? Well, Lord, I just pray for these guys who raise their hands, and I just thank you that you give them a clear next step from your word where they know exactly where they're going and in whose power they're going with, God. We do not forsake the grace of God. We go in your power, by your power, to reveal your power. So, God, I just thank you. Everybody in here is adopted into your family. They're identified with Christ, and we live not by sight, but only by faith. God, we love you so much. I'm just expecting to hear amazing stories from this church and the people of it because your hand is working in their lives, and we simply commit to the word that you're sowing. In Jesus' name.